This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. Hey, let me second that. Welcome to the family today. So great to have you all here with us, and welcome back, college students. Can we, Mary Villains, say welcome to all of our college students in the room today? I uh, want to just uh, prepare for the tithes and offerings, and as we do, I have one quick announcement, and then we're going to give you the rest of the announcements at the end. But one thing I want to ask is, this is kind of going to be a surprise, but due to the fact of the help that we need, it's not going to be as much a surprise. Over here in the playground area, we have purchased a new playground. Uh, it's going to be installed right there in the corner where the playground typically is. But the problem is, when we got this thing in, it is much bigger than what we thought it was going to be. So, no kidding, as soon as church is over second service, Pastor Mark already has guys prepared to start working on that. And we're going to do our best to have it set up and ready by next Sunday. So the reason I'm telling you that is if you have an hour to spare at any point in time during the day, in the evening, whenever that might be, uh, there's a booklet, there's instructions, so we're going to do our best just to be working around the clock. So if you want to give your midnight to eight shift, hey, we'll take it. (laughs) Whatever you can do to help, it would be great. So if you could see Pastor Mark, if you can help, he can let you know when to be here, how to be here, what to do, all that fun stuff. So we're excited about that and hoping... Pray with us that it's ready to go by next Sunday, and we'll be able to reveal that to the kids. It will be a surprise to them, even though you know about it. So uh, will you go to the Lord and pray with me as we receive the tithes and offerings? Father, we thank you, God, for another wonderful day in your presence. What an incredible opportunity it is to worship you. And God, as we've done that in song, we're gonna do that in heart as we hear from your word today, as we grow from your word, and we wanna do that as we give as well. And God, I pray that you just take what we give and keep doing what you've been doing, the miraculous things that are happening, not just at the bridge, but for your kingdom. That's the important part of this. And we just ask that you take what we give and multiply it and use it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Hey, while they're receiving that offering today, I'm just going to go ahead and dive in to the message. And thank you, first of all. Uh, It's so nice to be back with you. Last week I was gone. Uh, My grandmother passed away a week ago Tuesday. And so I was in Oklahoma conducting the funeral for my grandmother last weekend. So had to be out. So thank you to Pastor Tim. Well, Tim, uh, he's no longer a pastor. But hey, I always saw him as a pastor. So can we say thank you to Tim for filling in last week? always does a great job. And thank you for all the calls, texts, uh, cards, flowers, everything you've done for us. We really truly appreciate it. It's nice to be part of a family and knowing that we look out for one another. I'm going to do my best as we dive in to this message and really into this series entitled Sacred to kind of catch some of you up that maybe were not here two weeks ago. Uh, maybe you haven't been here because you're just getting here for college. So whatever that might be, I want to try to introduce to you why we're coming in to this series called Sacred. Two weeks ago, we talked about our body being the temple. And where we find this is in scripture, uh, it starts with an Old Testament temple, an Old Covenant temple, if you want to call it that, and it's in 2 Chronicles. And the temple was a sacred place because it was the first point of connection between heaven and earth. 
God told David to build this temple and he passed that job onto his son Solomon. And I wanna read to you what it says in 2 Chronicles 7.1. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And it says, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was a sacred place where God's presence dwelt. Today, we are part of the new covenant temple. Thanks to the fact that Christ died and rose again and that we get to be a part of that, he bridged the gap between us and God. I think Tim talked about that a little bit last week, that and holy underwear. Don't know how that got thrown in there, but (laughs) if you missed it, you missed out. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? You became what was a building before, now is our bodies. It means that you are the new covenant point of connection between heaven and earth. And just as fire fell on the temple in 2 Chronicles, we see in Acts chapter two that fire fell onto human beings and the Holy Spirit filled their bodies. God's presence filled their bodies. So I want you to do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. We're gonna see what happened because of them becoming the temple, the new covenant temple, Acts chapter two. And just to kind of catch you up, after this fire fire fell on the disciples and filled their bodies, Peter began to preach and it says that 3,000 were saved in this one moment. All of a sudden, the church was formed. And so we're gonna look at Acts chapter two, verse 42, and see what happened after these 3,000 were saved. Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which really is God's word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which was communion, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All of that happened. That early church began just after fire had fell upon them and filled their bodies. See, our job as the new covenant temple is to reveal God to, the, uh, to other people. And how do we do that? Well, it starts with his word, knowing his word. It, it helps to have the fellowship of other believers, communion, and prayer. Those four things were essential to the early church. And I truly believe The reason we have witnessed what we have in this building, the growth that we've seen, the lives changed, the reason God continues to do miraculous things here is because we are doing our best to mimic the Acts chapter two church. It's been our goal from the beginning. I came here in 2018, August, and I spent the first few months just getting to know you and you getting to know me. But in January of 2019, I began a series entitled Who We Are, and I wanted all of us to be on the same page as to why we are in this place, to define the kind of church we were going to be. That would not be a personality-driven church based on one pastor who does everything and brings people in. No, it's a purpose-driven church. We come together with a purpose, and we do it together, just as they did in Acts chapter 2. So today and for the next three weeks, I wanna talk about these things that were sacred to the first church. There's really four things, 
but we're gonna talk about three because I just covered prayer when I talked about Bo about three weeks ago. And we learned some things from Bo. We talked about prayer. So I'm gonna leave prayer out, not because prayer is not important, but because we just talked about it. So for the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about the apostles' teaching, which is really God's word, fellowship, and breaking of bread with communion. There was a result of these four things that they did. And it just, the last line told us that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And shouldn't that be the goal of any church? Let me try that again. Shouldn't that be the goal of any church? To be adding to their number daily, to be really truly being God to those around us outside this building so that we can add to the kingdom. Now, it's very easy in Acts chapter two, verse 42. Do you mind throwing that scripture up there again? It's very easy to focus on the objects in this scripture. There's four of them. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But if you just focus on the objects, you miss a very important verb at the beginning. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. That word devoted is pretty important to notice. And that's what we're gonna talk about is how we are to be devoted to these things. Not just kind of focus on them, not just think about it. No, they devoted themselves to these things. It didn't say they begrudgingly attempted to hear the apostles' teaching. It didn't say, I'll only fellowship with the people that I like at church. It didn't say, I'll only take communion if they have the good crackers. It didn't say, I'll only open my Bible app and read that scripture a day and I'll just call that good. It didn't say, I'll work church and small groups in and around my kids' sporting events. Did I just say that out loud? Excuse me for that. It didn't say, I'll just stay home today and watch online because I didn't want to put makeup on. It didn't say, I'll just post a pic of my coffee and my Bible open because it looks real good on social media even though I only read one scripture and went on about my day. It didn't say, school's out so church is out, I'll catch you in August. It didn't say, I go to church maybe next week because the chiefs are on this week. It didn't say, I only go to church if they sing the songs I like. Have I hit everybody yet? (laughs) They devoted themselves to these four sacred things. Devoted. It's a big word. Today, we're gonna focus on devoting ourselves to God's word. That's what they're really saying. When they said the apostles' teaching, it was to God's word. And next week, we're gonna have small group Sunday. We're gonna sign up for small groups and we're gonna talk about devoting ourselves to fellowship and that we do not do life alone. We were not made to do life alone. We were made to do life together. Again, we've already talked about the importance of prayer. So week three, we're gonna talk about devoting ourselves to communion. Now, I will tell you, we're talking about God's word today, so I'm gonna use a lot of scripture. But after all, we're talking about God's word, so shouldn't we use a lot of scripture? That kind of makes sense. When Connor was little, Connor loved Legos. And uh, he would ask for Legos every Christmas, every birthday. He wanted some kind of Lego that uh, he could play with. Unfortunately, Connor was not a big fan of putting Legos together. So who do you think got that job? And it wasn't just one Lego. He would get multiple Legos 
at Christmas or birthdays. And I would spend hours putting those things together only to watch him. He would play with them for a while and then the pieces would fall off and I'd be like, Connor, fix it back. And he's like, I don't care. And he just keeps playing and the pieces would disappear and some of them are destroyed. Can you imagine if when I opened the box to his Legos, if it was just this without any instructions and I'm supposed to create this? I mean, that would practically be impossible, would it not? To just say, you gotta make this. It's gonna have a purpose, it's gonna look good, but you've gotta create it out of this. That would be impossible to do without this. Otherwise, I just have a bunch of pieces that I could make maybe a, a wall or a house or you know a square, but no way am I making this or no way am I making this without this. Now imagine that's your life. Imagine for a moment that you're trying to put the pieces of your life together to live up to the potential that God has created you for and all you have is this. We would be lost without this. It would be impossible to know where these pieces go, to truly live the life that God called us to live without the instruction manual. You need that in order to know where your pieces go. You see, when I was young, even though I grew up in church as a pastor's kid, I can't tell you how many sermons I heard about God's word and prayer, and all of that just began to sound like rules to me when I was little. Yeah, you gotta read your word to be a Christian. You gotta pray to be a Christian. You know, you gotta go to church to be a Christian. And it all just sounded like rules until my life became my own. When I got out of the house and my parents were no longer providing for me, they didn't tell me when to get up in the morning and when to go to bed at night. They didn't tell me right from wrong anymore. They had taught me all of that. It was now on me. And it was then and there that I realized the importance of it not just being rules, but I needed this in order to know right from wrong, to know when somebody's telling me something and it wasn't true. I had to go to God's word to find the truth. And it was important for me to know that it's not just about rules. It's not just so you can call yourself a Christian. It's the only way you're going to be able to live up to the full potential of who God has called you to be. Let me say that a different way. I'll be bold enough to say this. I don't think a person can live up to their full potential of who God created them to be without God's word, without the instruction manual. Let me let scripture back that statement up. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let's recap. Where does faith come from? Hearing the word of God. However, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So where does faith come from? Hearing God's word. And what is it impossible to do to please God? It's impossible if you don't have faith. So if you don't have God's word in your life, how are you gonna have faith in order to please God? How are you gonna live up to the full potential of who God has called you to be if you don't have God's word in your life? Which brings me to 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says all scripture. Everybody say all scripture. All scripture. Let's say it like we mean it. Say all scripture. All scripture. 
is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. Say equipped. It didn't say thoroughly uh, feeling bad for what they're not doing. It didn't say thoroughly feeling condemned to where we kicked them out of church. No, it's thoroughly equipped for every good work. Could it be any clearer what scripture is for? It's for correcting, training, and teaching us the way to live so that we may be equipped for every good work. One of the biggest mistakes we make in following Christ is to believe that we can come in here, hear a 30-minute sermon, and think that we can live our Christian life on that alone. We need that instruction manual. We need God's word. Now, I mentioned that Connor loves Legos. Both of these are from Star Wars because Connor also loves Star Wars. I'm gonna have to owe Connor some money today. So I'm using Connor a lot. Connor loves Star Wars, so we've watched, watched a lot of Star Wars movies in his lifetime. I can't tell you how many times we've sat down to watch those movies, but George Lucas created all the Star Wars characters. He wrote the story of Star Wars, of Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and Jabba the Hutt and all of these different people in Star Wars, but none of those characters in the movies even know that George Lucas exists. You don't hear his name mentioned in the movies at all. They don't talk about him. They don't acknowledge him. However, he was their creator. The only way that they would acknowledge George Lucas or know that he even existed was if he wrote himself into the story of Star Wars, which he didn't do. Now, we're not talking about Star Wars today, but in the same way, we are created by God. And we can't even know there is a God unless he reveals himself to us. So if he wanted to be known, he would have to write himself into the story of our lives. And that's exactly what he did. It's why we celebrate Christmas every single year is because God decided to write himself into our story. When he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live and die on our behalf. Christmas is all about God writing himself into our story and revealing himself to us through his son. And that's why John 1.14 says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the son, one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So God sent his son to this earth in order to reveal himself to us, even to people like me who are pretty simple. I think of this scripture as my scripture. In, in Psalm 119, verse 130, it said, the unfolding or teaching of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Anybody else in here need that? I need a little simple. You know, I need to dumb down a little bit so that I can capture what it's really saying. And my goal is that you wouldn't just hear the word of God on Sunday morning, but that you would truly begin to study it on your own and be devoted to God's word. It's essential to our walk with Christ. Why is that important? Well, if you don't mind, we're done in Acts. I want you to shift over to Matthew chapter four with me. Matthew chapter four. I wanna show you an experience that Jesus had that will help us understand the importance of knowing God's word. Matthew chapter four, we're gonna begin reading in verse one, all the way through 11. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Remember that fact that he was hungry, because I'm going to come back to that. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the only son of, excuse me, if you are the son of God, tell those stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Based on this story, if you have your bulletin with you, I wanna talk about two reasons why God's word is so important to us. And I wanna give you a heads up. The first one, there's a bit of a typo. So I'm gonna have you rewrite this for me. If you don't mind, you're gonna have a little work to do today. Knowing God's word is important because number one, it keeps us from falling to temptation. Now this says it keeps us from temptation. That's actually not true. After all, we just saw that Jesus was tempted. We are going to be tempted. The God's word is to help us not fall to that temptation. So if you don't mind, rewrite that for me just so we're clear. Jesus knew the word of God, so he was able to speak the word of God. He was able to rely on the word of God as the enemy was trying to tempt him. One huge misconception that we have about the word of God is we think our expectations of who God should be are the promises of God. I wanna say that again. We have a misconception that, that our expectations of who God should be are the promises of God and they're not. As a result, we get disappointed in God for something he never said he would do. And we're sitting there disappointed saying, God, why aren't you holding up your end of the promise? And it was never a promise that God gave. It was our expectation of what we thought God should do in that moment. You see, many of us, we don't know scripture very well, and so we wind up misquoting scripture. We did a series last year to help kind of clear some of the air on some of these misconceptions. It was called Pretty Little Lies. I'll give you a few of the examples of things we talked about. You can go back and watch it later if you'd like. But on this Pretty Little Lies series, we covered that we, we believe that God wants me to be happy. That's one of the thoughts we hear all the time. People say, it. God wants me to be happy. God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to sin. God doesn't want you to be happy when it's based on circumstances. Matter of fact, God doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. And if you want clarity on that, again, I would encourage you to go listen to that or come see me later. But the truth is, it's not about happiness. You can have joy in your heart that God wants you to have and he wants you blessed, but it is not about the circumstances around us making us happy. Another misconception, God will never give you more than you can handle. How many times have you heard that? We talked about that last year. It's actually not true. God will give you too much. Why? Because it teaches you, one, to put something down and to prioritize your life. It teaches you to lower your pride and maybe ask for some help sometimes. 
It teaches you how to put things back on God and say, God, I need your help in this. And you wind up calling on him because there's too much in your life. Another misconception we have is we look around at other people and go, well, I'm better than them. I'm not that bad of a person. I'm doing pretty good. And we kind of use that as our litmus test as to how we're living. But the truth is we're all bad. The Bible says that we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. And why is that important for you to know? It's because unless we see ourselves as sinners, we will never see a need for a savior. Another misconception is all sin is the same. What's it matter? If I lie, steal, cheat, doesn't matter, all sin is the same. No, we talked about that. All unforgiven sin is the same in that it separates us from God. The punishment for unforgiven sin is the same in that it's hell, it's promised us in, in God's word. The consequences of sin, both on this earth and in eternity, are not the same. Again, if you wanna know more about that, go back and listen. Another misconception, I'll stop here. The last one is the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul wrote that. And so we find ourselves, man, I love God, so why is my life so bad? I love God, so why do I have to go through these things? Because I thought all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul wrote that. Let me just give you Paul's quick uh, little story of all that he went through in his life, yet he was still able to write that. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25. Here's just a few things Paul went through. Get ready. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the, from the rivers, danger from the bandits, danger from the fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger from in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from the false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone, often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Man, this sounds like a really bad country song that didn't rhyme. Dude went through everything under the sun. Yet he still wrote, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I wanna remind you that just because things are bad doesn't mean that God's not good. Just because you find yourself in the wilderness doesn't mean God's not there. You see, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, he literally had just come from being baptized. We talked about it a few weeks ago, that when he came up out of the water, the heavens split. The spirit came down like a dove and his own father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. And in that moment, as soon as that happened, he walked away and the spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. You know what that means? You can be living in the perfect center of God's will. He can be proud of you, pleased with you, and you can still find yourself in the wilderness. You can still find yourself dealing with bad things. That doesn't mean that God is not there. It doesn't mean that God's word isn't true. That's why Psalm 23, 4 tells us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It didn't say you wouldn't go through the valley of the shadow. It said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There's a promise in that, that God will be with you, that he will comfort you. 
And maybe you're walking through a valley right now. Maybe you found yourself in the wilderness and you're scared, you feel alone, you feel in danger, you're having sleepless nights. That doesn't mean that God is not keeping his promises. He is with you. He is your strength in that moment. He is your comfort in that moment. Second reason it's important that we know God's word is because we have an enemy that knows God's word very well and he's doing everything he can to manipulate it. Do you know how many times he tries to lead us astray by manipulating what God has said? And we see examples of it in scripture. When you think about the devil, all you think about is the little red guy with the horns and the pointy tail and the pitchfork. No, he knows God's word and he knows it well. In the story we just read of Jesus being tempted, in Matthew chapter four, verse five, it said, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And in verse six, he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written and Satan is quoting God's word. He's quoting scripture, but using it to manipulate Jesus. If Jesus didn't know God's word and he heard that, he could have said, you know what? That sounds right. The best defensive corners in football. I'm sorry, ladies, if you don't know what a defensive corner is, ask your husband later. The best defensive corners in football watch a lot of film. They watch the quarterback to see every move he's gonna make to try to catch anything they can that will give away the fact of where he's gonna throw the ball so they can be quicker to get there to, in order to intercept or at least knock the pass down. And they do that because they wanna know everything that he's gonna do that can help them. It's exactly why our enemy wants to do everything he can to know our playbook so that he can confuse us with it. He can use the words that we hear in church and he can manipulate them to make it sound right and find ourselves living outside of God's will. And you can be thinking, man, my life is good. I'm, I'm living a really good life for God. And you're doing it by misquoting scripture all in the name of Jesus. We shouldn't be that surprised that He's that crafty either. Because he even began doing that at the beginning of time. In Genesis chapter three, the story of Adam and Eve, verses one through seven, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? He knows what God said. He's already putting questions to it. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve's like, she understands. She knows what God said. So here's her response. She said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. She's quoting God. She knows what God said. And here comes Satan back to manipulate. You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And by verse six, it took two verses. All of a sudden, Eve is fooled. Look at what she says. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It was that simple. All of a sudden, sin entered into the world. 
all because he manipulated what God said. In just a few verses, she knew what God had said. She knew it was wrong not to eat. Then all of a sudden, two scriptures later, did you notice it said, she said it was good, it was desirable, pleasing to the eye. You don't hear anything about evil anymore. All of a sudden, all you hear is the good about it. And the same happens when we don't know God's word. It gets manipulated in our hearts and in our minds until we're outside of God's will. And that's why it's important for you to know God's word because we have an enemy who's going to try his very best to turn it around on us. When Jesus was tempted, the enemy was promising something he couldn't even give. He was promising Jesus something that he didn't even have. And have you ever thought, what if Jesus would have given in to that temptation in the desert? Where would we be today if he'd have said yes? See, we already know how the story goes. We know that he's God. We know that he lived a sinless, perfect life on this earth, but he was human. Remember when we were reading just a moment ago, I said, remember that it said he was hungry. He was hungry because he was fully human in that moment. Being tempted by the devil And the devil took him up on the mountain and he said, all these kingdoms, all of this, I'll give it to you right here, right now, if you just bow. If you're reading that from the context that Jesus was God, it's like, why did he even need that? I mean, he had everything. But if you read it from the context that he was human, that is where the temptation comes in. Because what Satan is saying is, I will give you everything you came here for without the sacrifice. I'll give you everything that you came to the earth for, but you don't have to die to get it. He's talking to someone who was fully human in that moment. And that's what the enemy does. When we look at all the sins of the world, when we look at not holding things sacred that are sacred in God's eyes, it's all promising you something. It's promising you a better life, satisfaction, happiness, but it's empty because he doesn't even have that to give. Anytime the enemy's offering you something that looks like love, that looks like joy, that looks like peace, just know that he does not even have that to give because that is who God is. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. Thankfully, Jesus didn't give in the way Eve did. He was not fooled. Otherwise, we'd have ended right back up where Adam and Eve were in the beginning. But he remained secure in knowing who God was and what God had sent him to do because he knew God's word. All three times that he was tempted by Satan, he avoided that temptation by speaking God's word back. It is written all three times. What if every time that we felt the temptation in our heart we could speak back to that temptation and say, it is written. No matter what temptation comes your way, I can guarantee you there is scripture to go up against it. But we have to know God's word. We have to be devoted to God's word. Many of the promises of God in scripture are not so much about what God can give you. It's who God can give you. It's not always about God saying, I'll give you this or I'll give you that. It's more about him saying, I will be with you. I will help you. I will satisfy you. I will comfort you. I will guide you. The promise is God himself. But you see, another step in this process of being devoted to God's word, it's how we're gonna bring this all to a close this morning. The the biggest part of this 
Being devoted to God's word comes from James chapter one, verses 19 through 22. Either write it down, either look it up if you want right now, whatever you gotta do, James chapter one, verses 19 through 22. I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation and here's what it says. Understand this. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in our lives and humbly accept the word of God has planted in your hearts. The word God has planted in your hearts. And why do we need to accept that? For it has the power to save your souls. And then the hard part comes. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. That's the part of being devoted to God's word. Yes, we can read it. We can read it over and over and over, but until we apply it to our lives, until we're truly doing what God has called us to do, we're just living this life like a pile of Legos, trying to figure out where the pieces go. But when we know God's word and when we apply it to our lives and we do what he's called us to do, we can be what he's created us to be. We can live up to the full potential of what he's called us to do. Otherwise, what's the scripture say? Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You need to know that the promises of God are greater than your expectations. And the only way you're gonna know the promises of God is to know God's word. So here's our call to action today. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I'm gonna ask one simple question. Do you read God's word? I'm not asking you to look at your wife or your husband or your child. I'm asking you directly, you as the person sitting here in this room, do you read God's word? Do you rely on 30 minutes a day, excuse me, 30 minutes a week when we come in here and talk about God's word and you think that's enough? Or are you gonna let this manual help you put the pieces of your life together. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you gave us your word, that that word became flesh and dwelt among us, that you sent Jesus Christ so that we could become the new covenant temple, the new point of connection between heaven and earth, and what a sacred thing that is. Lord, the only way we're gonna live the life that you have called us to live is to know your word. You've given us example after example, promise after promise of how to live our lives and that you will be right there with us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear for you are with us your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You are there for us every step of the way. So Lord, our call to action today and the thing I pray that we would commit to this morning is to just reading your word, that we would pick it up. If we own a Bible, that we would begin to read that Bible. If we don't have a Bible, that you would, God, send them to me or send them to someone. There are ways to get a Bible. Lord, if they could just download the Bible app, they'd have it everywhere they go and spend time reading your word, 
helping us put the pieces of our life together. Living up to the full potential of who you have called us to be. Pray that we would commit to that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.